If you're listening to this podcast, it means you're ready, no more than ready, to have a major breakthrough in your business. You're hungry for change and you're hungry for growth, and that's why you're feeding your mind right now with all this valuable information. But to drive those changes, to be really smart about what you're doing and to make the right choices before you take massive action, you need help from someone who's been there, someone who's gonna coach you through it, even just someone to get you started on your journey. That's why Tony Robbins is offering a free one-to-one business strategy session from one of his top business coaches, a $600 value, completely free, no strings attached. That's right, if you're listening right now, you can go to tonyrobbins.com CEO and sign up for a free session with a member of Tony's team who's helped business owners like yourself overcome their obstacles and set them on the path to success. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Tony Robbins Podcast. I'm your host, Annie York. If you're familiar with Tony's renowned business seminar, Business Mastery, you know it's nothing like your average business growth conference. Business Mastery is a five-day immersive seminar where you go to build a platform for explosive growth. In these next two episodes, we're taking you to a special segment within Business Mastery, where Tony holds a panel discussion with the leaders behind today's fastest growing companies. Today, you're going to hear from Jonas Kahlberg. He's a serial entrepreneur, author, investor, and most notably, the co-creator of Skype. Jonas is a very special individual. He's somebody who's driven by a deep-seated passion to completely shake up the status quo. While others might focus on changing one variable at a time, Jonas has his sights set on changing as many variables as possible. It's this mindset that led him to take a number of risks and make a lot of big bets, some of which failed spectacularly, but some of which became massive successes, like Skype. Tony and Jonas talk about the evolution of Skype, how it became one of the internet's most revolutionary businesses, disrupting the entire telecommunications sector in a way that no one saw coming. Jonas reveals what he's learned from his past failures and the key lessons he's taken with him when it comes to eliminating costs, customer acquisition, and why every company should be ready to embrace change and pivot on a dime. Ladies and gentlemen, please stand up, give a giant welcome to Jonas Kalberg, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being here. This is exciting for me personally because I'm such a fan of you as an entrepreneur because while you're known for Skype, you're just a serial entrepreneur that just keeps ripping it open every time. And anybody can get lucky maybe and maybe get lucky enough to hit home run, but I don't know that luck's enough even for that. But to do it the number of times you've done, it's amazing. So you've, for other people that don't know, you've created Campus Mobile and you sold that to Vodafone. You did uh, Player IO, I guess, uh, a social sharing type of site, yeah. which you sold to Yahoo. Yeah. He built iCloud and sold it to Apple along with Skype, just this little thing on the side. <laughs> so first give him a hand for what he's accomplished. Just unbelievable. And I'd love to know, what is your secret sauce? How is it you're able to consistently find ways to produce companies that touch people around the world? I don't know. I I think I'm uh, not afraid of losing, and I want to change the game of the industry. I think, you know, I look at, you know, industries that make a lot of money, and I wake up that morning and say, how can I really f*** up their business big time? (laughs) And, you know, 
I'll take out profits for them because, you know, they're hierarchy. They do their things in a new way and the customer maybe wants something different. Often I make a mistake and things go sideways. You know, sure. it's like uh, Nanuba and Player.io, uh, Can It Works, you know, all companies that went sideways. So if you ever have a company that goes sideways, call Yahoo because uh, with a bit of persuasion, they buy everything. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hopefully they'll be around to still buy things the way yeah, they yeah, operate. That's the problem, you know. They, they can't buy anything in a couple that's of right. years, yeah. Tell me the thinking that went behind Skype and yeah. how you came about, you guys came about making that happen. Well, I think, you know, I'd just been part of my biggest failure in life. Uh, I was the CEO of a company called Lycos, and then another little company showed up in Palo Alto called Google. <laughs> that was a bummer. <laughs> So that didn't work out. So I met some of my old friends, Niklas and Janus. They just, you know, also were, had another company called Casal that also went sideways. They had a technology which was a peer-to-peer -peer sharing technology. So we started another company called Yoltid. No one really cared about that. <laughs> so <laughs> we pivoted wild. it and uh, we started another company called Skyper, which was more of a mobile network on Wi-Fi. So we built this phone client so you could call. And um, it didn't really work out either. So, but after um, iterating and rethinking the business model and taking away, you know, the cost, we actually got it moving. And um, we were just amazed when we sold it. We were still thinking, you know, that Microsoft or AOL will come kill us tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. And you sold it, wasn't, 2003 is when Skype came out. Didn't you sell it in 2005 for like 2.6 2, uh, billion? 2005, yeah. 2006. Two years later, he sells it for 2.6 billion. Yeah. And a then, lot of yeah, luck. It was not bad a lot for of two luck. years. Right? A lot of luck. A lot of luck. <laughs> and then it was bought by Microsoft later for over $8 billion. Yeah, right? yeah. So eBay weren't too happy about the acquisition, so they sold it with a good premium a bit later. Yeah, a bit of a premium. <laughs> yeah. not, not bad for them. So, so tell me, when you look at things, one of the things I saw in some of the interviews with you that I was fascinated by is that you have this philosophy of, of basically innovating in zeros. Yeah. And will you explain that to everybody? Yeah, that, I, I don't know so if you have sense. a whiteboard here, but I think one of the main things for you as an entrepreneur, and, and just, uh, um, I think you are, you know, amazing. Um, but I think one of the key things for me is to really challenge the cost side. Because in a lot of businesses, there's a lot of cost. And it's not about making things free. It's basically taking away costs. I can give you an example. For Skype, um, a normal telco, they would invest in a lot of infrastructure. We thought, okay, how could you get the customer to pay for it? So we said, okay, you already paid for your internet, so we found our first zero. Second thing, a telco company, they need a lot of switches. So we said, the interesting thing here is that the CPU power in these switches was actually the same as in your personal computer. So we said, why don't we let your personal computer code the calls? We found another zero, so we didn't have cost for that. Second thing, third thing is to be do good quality for Skype. Uh, you need a lot of Cisco servers. Um, I don't know, how many here actually use Skype? Wow, that's cool. <laughs> Virtually everyone in the <laughs> how, room. How many use Skype before Microsoft picked up the product? <laughs> That's a lot of people as well. So, can you remember the time when you used your computer, you left it on, came back three hours later, and your computer was super hot, and the Microsoft and the processor was going 100%. Can you remember it? Because if that's the case, your computer had just become a super node, 
and all the traffic was routed through your computer. So we didn't have costs for the network because we thought, hmm, there's a lot of computers connected to the internet but not being used. So we thought, you know, sharing is caring. <laughs> there's a lot of government buildings out there. Uh, there's a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, you know, whatever big companies. And we just used uh, your computer at night and transported all the calls through. So we didn't have any network cost. Same thing with customer service. Uh, I knew running a telco, customer service could stand for, you know, 20% of the costs. The challenge here is my problem was often when I talked to customer service, I was more pissed after I talked to them than before. <laughs> so I came to the conclusion, you know, there's a negative delta by having a customer service. So we said, let's make it impossible to call Skype. <laughs> <laughs> and we found another zero. There's a side effect as well, because, you know, the tax authorities don't know where to call you either, but that's the second story. <laughs> I love the way you think. Now, so, you also do it the other way, though. Yeah. Sometimes if you can't cuss, cut zeros, yeah. then you try to figure out how to add zeros. Give yeah. us an example of that. I think Apple has done it really, really well. Instead of just coming out with a new computer, a new phone, they think, okay, a normal computer is $300. How can we sell ours for $3,000? Because that comes back to the perspective of what's the delight. Yes. It's not about... Yes, that's another key. Uh, yes, Tell us about that. Yes, it's basically you need to build the best product in the world and not just do it a little bit better but really rethink what you wanted to do. What's that delight? What takes your product beyond competition? So you can actually go home tomorrow and add a zero to your price tag, and people will still love it and buy it. Basically, as you're doing as well. You're doing a good job there. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> so give me an example where you've done that with one of your companies. I haven't really rocked that boat yet, so, but I'm still trying to do You're more that. the cost side. Yeah, well, I think Salando, which is the equivalent of Sapos, we never lowered the price there, but we rethought, you know, uh, the whole cost structure again. Okay, cool. Tell me, when, um, when you were building Skype, what were some of the biggest challenges you ran with early on, and how did you guys solve them? We had no money. Uh, we couldn't mortgage our houses anymore. Um, we were fighting the biggest telco industry in the world. Um, I think we never thought we would ever get through. You know, it's like just another. We'll just get by another day and see where this takes us. Wow. So, um, and I think the the challenge in Skype as well is a story that's very seldom told is how do you get customers? Same thing there. We couldn't afford marketing. So we had no clue. So we needed to innovate in customer acquisition. So we thought, what happens if we do a small pop-up button after you've done a good call? And if you click that button, if you remember that, we went in, and since it was a downloadable client, we opened your inbox, and we sent a mail to every one of your contacts saying, hi, I just started using Skype. It's a great service. I would be happy to call for free with you. And we sent a lot of mails. Wow. And the viral effect just must have been incredible. Yeah. But do you think we went... You had like a, didn't you have like a million users the first month? Yeah, well, it took quite nearly three years to get 20,000. until we oh, three years to get 20,000. Yeah, until we unlocked that. Because, again, do you think we went up on stage and told everyone about that? No, we told our product was viral and brilliant. We had an email engine in the bottom. <laughs> oh, wow. wow. And then it went so successful, we actually had to cancel it. But that's... Just another story how you need to innovate in customer acquisition. Because if you want growth, that's where you need to start. So basically, taking away costs, 
of your business, rethinking cost structure, innovating in zeros, and then basically thinking beyond of your product. Those are my three things. Those are pretty great three things. Now, you also talk about this idea of friction-free storytelling. Will yeah. you share a little bit about that? Well, yeah. I, 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 today, I work for the Boston Consulting Group, and I only have one question when I talk to the boards and CEOs. And it's a very simple question. It's basically, what are you selling? How often do you think I get a straight answer from these lawyers? Rarely, people? if ever. Yeah, very rarely. It's like, well, you know, Mr. Kjellberg is very complicated. You know, <laughs> we have 150,000 users and blah, blah, business units. But in the end, most successful companies have defined a friction-free storytelling. And they're very good at defining it. You know, I, I often use the, the story of Harley-Davidson. And they, they struggled a bit until they decided what we sell is the ability for a 43-year-old accountant to dress in black leather, ride through small towns, and have people be afraid of him. <laughs> It's not going from A to B. Motorcycles be an outlaw 30 minutes a weekend. That's what they're selling. <laughs> and if you don't get that, it's very hard because then most of the staff think you're selling motorcycles. Yeah. Same thing with H&M. You know, they defined and uh, they invented the whole fashion industry by saying, you know, we're going to be a fashion company with a zero less on the price tag. You know, if Prada has stores in Fifth Avenue, so do we. If Gucci uses supermodels, so do we. And, uh, but we're going to have a zero less on the price tag. And then everybody gets it. Because I think, you know, you talked about team earlier on. If your team doesn't know what you're selling, how should they know what to give to their customers? So it's a very simple perspective. So I would say, ask yourself, what are you selling? What does failure mean to you? I think I hate failures. Let's be honest about that. There's a lot of conferences. Everybody, oh, we're going to fail. I hate failure. I feel it happens to me all the time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but I like taking risks. Mm. And if you take risks you end up in the wrong places. It's like any ball game. But if you don't take risks, you don't get anywhere. So for me, it's, it's not the failure, because I hate it. It's painful of losing. Yes. But for me, it's, it's the risk and encouraging of doing something no one has done before. Like being that game changer. That's stronger for me than being an outperformer on a day-to-day -day basis. Interesting. So the innovation, the creativity, the, the putting something out there that no one else has. Yeah, and trying that and trying to play with those different rules. Uh, often I get it wrong, but that for me is, is not failure. And I think sometimes failure is defined by if we made a profit financially or not. Yeah. For me, it's more about taking a journey into the unknown, and I like doing that. Yeah. And then some of my friends came out, you pissed away a lot of money there, that went to hell. And I was, <laughs> I was, I was quite happy with it, you know, my wife wasn't, and, and, and the community around, but I thought, I, I believed in this, but it didn't work, okay. Back in those days when you had nothing, though, when you didn't have enough even, yeah. you know, you couldn't mortgage your house, yeah, like yeah. the Skype days. Yeah. You know, how did you get yourself to take those risks? Were you always a risk taker? Because many people, that's their concern, that's their fear. I think, you know, you think too much. And I've always, you know, my mother was devastated when I went from a big corporate job. You know, you have kids, you can't do a startup again. But for me, you know, I have one life and I want to live it. And I want to do it with the people I enjoy working with. And for me, yeah. <laughs> What's your philosophy around marketing? You seem to activate or activate the people who use your services. It seems to be a constant theme. But... How do you look at marketing? What is marketing to you in the modern age, and how do you do it most effectively? 
I think marketing, or I would call it customer acquisition, is innovating in customer acquisition is mostly one of the most important keys to drive success. And here's the thing, there's no books, there's no competition that is going to tell you how they are doing it, because it's often very easy to copy. It's like a combination of a lock. Yes. If you know it, it's great. If you don't, it's like super frustrating because you can't get the door open. Yes. So for me, innovating in customer acquisition and rethinking how you're doing that and taking a very, very mathematical approach on it. It's like 100 knock on the doors, 10 talks, one yes. How can you multiply that and understanding your funnel of engagement? And then you'll say, oh, man, I'm business to business. It can't be done. Of course it can be done. You can just break it down, be super engineering about it and understand how do you drive customers. And in a positive way, because I think a lot of people have taken marketing, taken hostage by bad marketing. Yes. Good marketing is when I meet passionate entrepreneurs, they're super proud to tell about their product. They're just confused that no one else is using their product. <laughs> so that's I think true. that's good marketing. When you put a lot of passion in it and you have one good message. Uh, and then it's more, how do you do that over and over again so that your customers has a smiling face when they get a mail or a message from you? That's beautiful. You're, you become a, a wanted communicator as a, an unwanted communicator. Mm -hmm. Tell me, what's been a marketing challenge where you didn't solve it at first? It, it, you, you wrestled with it, you failed, and then you finally figured it out. Can you give us an example of that? I think Skype is a very, very good example because the problem here is it's, it's a network effect. If everyone has Skype, it's great. You know, Now everyone has it, so it's is good. Uh, there's a problem is that when no one has, it's in the inverted effect. Yes. So you need to help that, you know, you need to create your own lock. How do you get that done? And I think in that case, we found a way of working with email marketing uh, because we sent a mail from your inbox and so people <laughs> yes. opened it, you know, so. Yes. And the service was great and no one really got pissed. So, you know, it worked out. Um, we worked a lot with TV, but in many cases, I've not been able to unlock customer acquisition because I've fallen back to the traditional ways of doing marketing and that becomes super expensive. You get caught in Google's financial yeah, trap. <laughs> trap. Um, people out there in the world, they're often um, thinking about that there's one silver bullet that, you know, if you can unlock, there is not. You know, you need to have a lot of things going on, constantly measuring things. So but, building a Parthenon as opposed to a single leg stool or yeah. two or three ways of marketing. Uh, yeah. And if you do that, maybe you find one or two things that really drives customer yeah. acquisition. But for me, that is sometimes the hardest challenge to unlock customer acquisition for any business. Do you always look at businesses in advance about their ability to scale? Where, where does scaling come in in the tempo of your evaluation of a business opportunity? Well, my business of that comes into these three things. First, of course, I need to feel that it's a great product uh, and it can change the world. Second, I think I look at the cost side. If you haven't innovated in zeros, you don't have a cost advantage. The beauty with innovating in zeros is also that you can often scale exponentially. And you'll hear that from Airbnb, you hear it from Uber, Facebook, Google, because if you really thought your cost structure, you can grow much faster. Right. So, so that's super important, that element of you can com competitive advantage, you can call it in the textbook. Um, and then the third thing is basically how have you unlocked customer acquisition in a new innovative way where the customers are happy with the messaging? Tell me about iCloud. What was the concept for that originally? And did you originally design it to sell to somebody like Apple? Or were you originally designing as a company you'd keep? 
No, Plus, yeah, of course, we designed it to, to, to keep it. No one really believed in cloud computing and cloud storage at that point of time. Wow. I thought, you know, this is the future. You know, why are you running around with a hard disk? You know, this yeah. seems stupid. Now it's common, but at that point of time, it wasn't. We started and built an operating system that you can actually use wherever you were. Um, good idea, but it only took really off in India and other places where people used an internet cafe. Um, and then we moved, we got a lot of patents, and we were super happy about, you know, going, going forward with it. And, um, yeah, one day Apple called and said, you know, like to buy you guys. And we're like, wow, wow, we're on a good roll here. And they're like, yeah, well, this is our checkbook. Pretty please with sugar on top, could you give us the domain <laughs> name? And can we take those patents? We want to do really, wow. redo things. What do they pay for it? Is that public knowledge? Uh, you know, with Apple, they're like super confidential. Oh, uh, blah, no blah, 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 you know. Uh, but uh, Plenty. <laughs> I couldn't tell you because that's going to cost me an enormous amount of money. Okay, I understand. Uh, what's an industry? One final question, and we'll bring out the next people here. Uh -huh. What what industry is ripe for disruption now in your mind? What's an industry that are you, is it maybe you're considering or you're looking at that you think could really you could add value and disrupt the current I think, paradigm? Yeah, I think food, uh, the food industry. You know, it's it's. Clearly run by some small globalistic big players, so I think rethinking that perspective uh, is going to be super important. Um, I think healthcare, to some extent, is also broken. Um, I agree with that. Uh, and then I'm, I'm playing around with, you know, basically also how do you work with teams? You know, you're, you're working with whiteboards, and how do you work with your teams? I think that is a topic that came up, and I'm, I'm investing in that as well. You know, how do you interact with human beings? Basically, what you've been teaching, but how can you do that in a more efficient way? So those are my three big um, disrupts. But again, you know, I'm often wrong, so don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, no one's worried about that. Um, if you were to give one piece of advice to an entrepreneur about the most important advice that was either given to you or the most important advice you would give today, what would it be? Commitment, you know, get out of bed and, you know, look yourself in the mirror and say, this is going to be the best day of my life. Put up on that smile and you go there and you try to change the world because doing that every day will take you places. Yes. And to pivot. Don't stay too long with an existing idea. Bring your friends in, you know, if the customers don't love it, there is a problem. Try to reconciliate, you know, don't be afraid of moving your business beyond because good business is, is constantly changing. That's so you don't get stuck with your idea. You spend four years, you drain all your cash and you don't get there and you see it as a failure. But constantly try to iterate it and move on. Because the beauty here is that by doing so, you get to places where you wouldn't be going and there you can make other decisions that will maybe unlock other things that you haven't seen. Makes sense. Makes total sense. Let's have a hand for starters, ladies and gentlemen. The Tony Robbins Podcast is directed and hosted by Tony Robbins. Annie York is our editorial director and occasional host. Our executive producer is Carrie Song. Jamie Carvajal and Adriel De La Torre are our digital editors. Special thanks to Mary Buckheit and Diane Adcock for their creative review.